Hey guys, what's going on? So on this podcast, I had my good friend Trent Steele on. He's the founder of the Anti-Predator Project. It's a IRS-recognized foundation, 501c3. He told me to make sure to mention that. You can go ahead and find his organization at antipredatorproject.org or antipredatorproject.com. Their slogan is Standing in the Void of Justice. So it's this crazy podcast about human trafficking and what made him start this whole foundation and project to help families and children that are affected by human trafficking. Hope you guys enjoy, man. Have a good one. And here comes the intro. Welcome to the podcast where my guests and I talk about anything and everything from sports, relationships, politics, movies to TV shows, current events, and conspiracy theories. No topic is ever off limits and it's always uncensored. I'm Ben Borges and this is Man Chatter. Ladies and gentlemen, I got a special podcast for you today. I got my good friend Trent. I've known this guy for 10 plus years. I've known this guy since he had hair on his head. That's how long we've been friends. It's not a shot at your current current bald situation, sir, but it is what it is. So he works for the, he actually is the founder with him and his wife of the Anti-Predator Project. Trent, tell the people what that is, man. Well, I appreciate the intro. I actually didn't know that you knew me when I had hair. Well, I saw uh, pictures. I, I, was I was trying to be nice. My, well, I was looking at my driver's license. It's coming up for renewal, and I actually had picture uh, hair in that photo. So I'm like, well, well, we haven't known each other a long time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. As you said, I, I am the co-founder and uh, chief investigator and director of investigative operations for Anti-Predator Project. We are a nonprofit, 501c3 uh private investigative agency based out of Miami. We take pretty much anything related to human trafficking. So our specialty is criminal investigation into individuals and organizations uh, involved in organized crime, organized trafficking. We also do the location and recovery of children that have been bought and sold in the black market. That's American children. And it's not because we think that children in other parts of the world are not as good or not worth it, but because we're licensed here in the United States or insured here in the United States, we have certain rules that we've got to play by. We also do cyber predators and missing children as well, along with any other crime that is human trafficking related. So we've worked homicide cases, we've worked missing persons cases, not just missing children, and we also provide executive protection details for human trafficking victims and their families during trial if they cannot get protection from any form of government, whether it's local, state, or federal. Wow, so it's it's changed it's changed a lot since our first conversation years ago. You're doing a lot more now, man. You provide you provide protection. So what 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 made it stream into all these other avenues? Well, it was kind of a need based driven uh, need based driven business. Mm-hmm. We got a call from a bunch of people around the country that were looking, especially now in the day and age of government agencies being underfunded, especially law enforcement, state attorney's office. We got some calls from some places that we've worked cases before asking if we could provide some armed protection for some victims and their families while they were going through trial. We were able to do so, and that kind of grew into uh, another whole thing. We did uh, a protection escort for a victim that was testifying on a case in Orlando. She was brought in from Texas. That was 
that was a really rough case. This particular victim had been grabbed and trafficked out of the Dallas, Texas area. She, just to show them what would happen to her, she tried to talk or escape. They killed and dismembered another girl in front of her and about 15 other girls. And she was able to escape when she got to Louisiana. She got out of the truck, was able to get some help, but she was actually in Florida uh, testifying and speaking a trial in regards to the girl that was uh, dismembered for the U.S. Attorney's Office here because of a change of venue. So we actually handled the protection detail for her. So, you know, another one of our uh, messed up cases, so to speak. Yeah, that's, that's an understatement to just call it messed up when you have somebody who witnessed somebody getting dismembered. Hold, like, what, how, old, how old was this girl that saw this? She's in her 30s now. She was in her 20s when it happened. Obviously, when these things go to court, they get caught in the legal system and drags on for years and years. We're starting to see an uptick in extremely violent behavior with trafficking, and I think that that's starting to lend itself because we're starting to see a lot more organized crime, especially drug cartel and, and European uh, mob-related crime. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. Going on, especially here in South Florida, we're starting to see across the southwestern parts of the united states texas arizona california a lot more cartel involved activity with the cartels we're starting to see a lot more groups like ms-13 ms-13 is not necessarily an organized drug cartel but they're used by the drug cartels for foot soldiers for muscle so to speak mm -hmm. they're an extremely violent group of guys and they're the ones that were actually responsible for dismembering this girl and burying her in a, a field in texas somewhere but we're seeing MS-13 start to pop up here in Miami, obviously up and down the East Coast. They're starting to travel there, D.C., New York. They're an extremely violent group of people, and they're basically muscle for hire. They don't work for one in particular cartel. It's basically whoever needs them to foot the bill at the time. They work for Sinaloa. They work for uh, Los Zetas. And they've also done some, some minor work for the Russian mob, but the Russian mob tends to be a lot more refined. They see MS-13 as a bunch of unrefined street thugs, and yep. so the Russian mob tends to hire their folks. Uh, they're an interesting group because they're the Russian mob has been doing all of this since before the drug cartels even thought about it. Right. Uh, these guys have been doing this for 50, 60 years. They're very, very well financed. They're very, very well protected, especially here in South Florida, uh, also up in New York, D.C., they buy off a lot of politicians. They have their hand in a lot of businesses, and they hire very, very qualified people. They don't just hire people off the street. They don't hire the local street thug that got out of prison. The Russian mob tends to hire, especially for things like their security guys. They hire a lot of former Spetsnets guys. They hire a lot of former Russian secret police guys. So they're very, they're very hard to deal with. I know we've run into problems trying to run surveillance on them because their people are well-trained in things like counter-surveillance. Uh, bug detecting so they're they're a tough group to deal with but once again they're also extremely violent but not in the same way the drug cartels are the drug cartels use violence and things like that for intimidation to prove a point if the russian mob gets mad at you you're just going to disappear and go away and yeah you'll never be heard from again. again yeah you'll just leave your house and and walk down the street and you'll walk into thin air and that'll be all that we hear from you as far as as that goes whereas the drug cartels are like likely to, you know, hack you into about five pieces and put them on display somewhere just to prove a point. Wrap you around a tire. So, yeah, seen, that sounds crazy, bro. Keep going. Keep going. I'm, I'm listening. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. So, oh, we've seen we've seen.
seen a, a big uptick in, in the drug cartel activity over the last, really over about the last two years. And if you if you look at the numbers, I haven't actually seen the numbers for 2017 yet. I know I know that in 2016, human trafficking globally was about a 300 billion dollar a year business. Um, they're expecting it by 2020 to overtake drug trafficking as the most profitable crime here in the United States and around the world, the most profitable organized crime, I should say. Mm-hmm. And I, I misspoke in the last one, 300 million. They're expecting by 2020 for it to be about a half a billion dollar business globally uh, with as far as is organized crime goes. So right now you've got the three big organized crimes and, and the three big money makers are, are weapons trafficking, drug trafficking, and human trafficking. Weapons trafficking is slipping out of third place, roughly at, at around 150 million. Uh, human trafficking is sitting at about 300 plus million right now, but it grows by leaps and bounds every year. Drug trafficking is almost at a half a billion dollar a year industry right now, but it's shrinking. Some of that is largely due to legalization of, of marijuana and other things around the globe. Kind of hurts that market a little bit. And then also what the drug trafficking organizations are starting to realize is that human trafficking has become more profitable than drug trafficking. You take 25 kilos of cocaine across the board, once you sell those 25 kilos, they're gone. Mm-hmm. You can never resell them again. You've got to go get more product. You've got to absorb the risk of trying to get it back across the border. What they're finding out is that they get 25 girls across the border, they can sell those girls 25, 30 times a night, and then the following night and the night after that. It's uh, To put it in business terms, as bad as it sounds, it's a renewable resource. Yeah, if it, so you're starting to see a lot of the organized crime bodies get more involved in human trafficking for those reasons. Well, yeah, because, I mean, so, to put it, to, this is going to be a dark conversation, but it's going to be an honest one. It's, it's almost like a great investment to be into human trafficking, absolutely. right? Because because of that, you're, you're making what you would make off a key. That Once that key's gone, that's it. There's no there's no more return. That's, it's a one-time payment. You could have this girl constantly go in, and then I watch enough Law and Order SVU. This is where I get, where I get all my knowledge from. Is the fact that once and they have kids, those kids go into human trafficking, and you just have continuous a continuous source of income. Because there's some sick mother Absolutely. there's sick motherfuckers out there that love them younger and younger, and there's a market for them. As disgusting as it makes me feel to say that, it's it's there's money there to be made for these human humans i guess you want to call them if you want to call them that well and that and that's the thing right the market the internet's done some great things for the world i mean it's it's allowed us to be able to have this conversation Mm -hmm. it's allowed you to be able to google anything you want get the answers on whatever you want however the internet's done some horrible things and one of the things that the internet's done that in my opinion is give these sickos a market so to speak to spread their sickness to communicate with their little groups, to, to exchange their pictures, to do the sick crap that they do. And it's also made it available for them to connect with other sickos around the globe. And that's expanded the reach of the darkest side of this whole thing, right? When you think human trafficking, it's bad enough when you think about, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds into their early 20s, even, you know, in some places into their 30s. It's bad enough to think what happens to them, but then when you get into the can of worms that the internet's opened up and you start talking about the zero to ten year old market, then things really start getting disturbing and then things really take it to another level. 
And, you know, until a couple of years ago, we had never dealt with that market. You know, we had a case that, you know, we had a girl that was, what we know now is still an ongoing investigation, uh, but what we know now is that we believe she was sold by her friends to cover a drug debt to a cartel because the cartel at the time was supplying that area. The kids got in over their head with uh, their local dealers, and the drug cartel, when you get in over your head, they don't exactly send you to collections, and you get a phone call, and they ask nicely for their money back. No, they don't. They grab you from your car, and they put an arm around you and explain to you that if we don't have our cash or something worth that cash value by such and such time, you're dead, your family's dead, and not only are you going to die, but it's probably going to be in a gruesome and horrific way. So when people get that, they tend to, you know, forget who their friends are, and they forget who their family are, and and they go into self-preservation mode, so... These kids, they had that conversation with some cartel guys, and they decided that, yeah, it's easy to trade our friend off for uh, to cover our debt. So they did. Uh, right now, the going rate for a blonde-haired, blue-eyed American girl south of the border, if she can appear young, or if she is young, 12 years age or, or 12 years of age or under, you're looking at maybe a quarter of a million bucks, maybe more, depending on the market. And so that'll buy a lot of dope. That'll cover a big dope debt. That'll that'll cover and a so, shitload of debt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that'll 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 make her right. So what we believe is they sold her to the cartel to cover that. <coughs> excuse me, that debt. The cartel then sold this particular girl to a black market ring to cover their debt. We now believe that that girl is somewhere in Europe, somewhere around the Czech Republic. We believe, and we don't have any hope that she's still alive. But our plan now is to try to hold the people responsible for this, you know, make somebody pay for it. But what we're seeing and and some of the things that we've seen, because that was largely an, an online and a digital investigation, and we crossed into places of the regular web that, to me, I can't believe they're still in business, you know, websites that openly broadcast rape, that openly broadcast uh, child rape. On, online, we're not talking the dark web. I mean, the dark web is a completely different conversation. But uh, these, these websites, they, they broadcast this stuff, and they're still in business. And I have no idea how, the, and did, nobody what, can explain it. One second, one second. Did you just say the regular web has like places the advocating for child rape and rape? How is that even possible? They, well, according to the attorneys that we've spoken with, they hide it all under the guise of free speech and fantasy. So that's how they get away with it. It's There's one website in particular that we've done a lot of work on. We've done a lot of undercover work on. Obviously, I won't give it out because we still have undercover identities on that website. Don't yeah. want anybody that may listen who may be into that to, to know what we're doing. But they've got a little... <clears throat> they've got a little section on this website where they have a little chat room. And the chat room is divided by different sick categories these people want to talk about, whether it's incest, child rape, kids 12 and under, kids 5 and under, and those are actual categories of this chat room. What you'll see, and I don't know how familiar you are with the dark web and how it works. But no, I stay, I stay on the good old clean web. I just, go, I just watch regular human human porn when, whenever I surf. That's good. Yeah, that's it. There's that's no, there's no I don't even, dude. Is, I'm gonna tell you some real shit. I don't even search teen. Like I stay away from anything like that. Might have given out too well, much information, and I want to apologize to my wife right now. 
if she hurt. But I'm just, I just wanna, just wanna be completely honest about that. I don't that that shit creeps me out, man. Because you because you never well, know what you're actually looking at. Well, the way that, and I'm by no means a technology buff. I've got guys to handle this for me, but I've been doing it long enough. I have a basic understanding of how this stuff works. And the way the dark web works is. In the regular web, you have .com, .org, whatever the website might be or the domain name might be, but you can just go into Google, right, and, and type in bananas, and you're going to get, you know, 50 websites to talk about bananas, whether it's, you know, the people that sell them, whether it's the grocery store, whatever it may be. Right. Right? But mm -hmm. that's how the regular web works. What happens in the dark web is you have to use this thing called a Tor browser, and we'll be in these chat rooms, we'll be watching them, and all of a sudden... The chat room will go quiet, and you'll see this web address pop up. But instead of having a .com at the end or .org at the end, it's got .onion, .onion at the end. All dark web websites, their their domain name is onion, .onion. That's how you can spot a dark web website. Really? So what happens is, is well, yep. So what happens is, is we'll copy and paste that dark web address into our Tor browser just to see where it'll take us. And the places that it takes us are so disturbing I can't put them into words. We've seen live child porn auctions. We've seen live weapons auctions. We've seen live rape auctions. All sorts of stuff that go on in these demented chat rooms. And the thing about the dark web is it offers these sickos complete anonymity. It can't be traced, and now with the invention and the use of things like cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, things like that, it's really made things hard, you know, not only for us trying to track, you know, guys that are doing this, mm -hmm. but for the Department of Defense, the Department of Justice trying to track, you know, bad people doing things with weapons, you know. We've seen a lot of terroristic, terroristic activity on the dark web as well, because they can go there, they can broker these deals, they can pay with... Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency, it's completely anonymous, they make money, and nobody knows. And then the other thing about the dark web is there's no such, no such thing as Google. So if you don't have the exact dark web address, you can't get there. Right. You, and once the, once the operator of that address pulls it down, it goes dark and there's no way to ever trace who is behind it. So we'll see a lot of these, you know, auctions, these child porn auctions and things like that. They'll go live for like 12 hours, 13 hours, and all of a sudden, boom, Gone. the website will go dark because they've sold everything they've got. They've got the highest bidder, whatever it may be. And a lot of times, like I said, they pay in cryptocurrency, so it's completely untraceable. There's actually a live website on the dark web that broadcasts the filming of child pornography 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. It's been going on for years, and nobody can shut it down because they can't trace where it's at. And everybody in their neighbors looked at it. The CIA has looked at it. Scotland Yard in England's looked at it. The NSA here has looked at it. I mean, the best people in the world have looked at this website, and nobody's been able to shut it down. Jesus, the most disturbing thing I've ever seen in my life. How's and, it? And, and this dark stuff is stuff that, if I haven't seen it with my own two eyes, I wouldn't believe it existed. And, and until two years ago, when we got involved in this case. And started to have to go through these websites and get into the dark web. I didn't even know this stuff existed. And since then, we've taken some steps to try to combat that. I've got a, a very, very good computer guy that's, so far, he's done all of our facial recognition. He's written our facial recognition programs. We use what they call biometric facial recognition on a lot of these images. And basically what that does is it measures the things on your face that can't be surgically altered. 
right? Because if you get grabbed by somebody, by a trafficking ring, whatever it may be, they can change your haircut, they can change, you know, your even your eye eye color with contacts, mm-hmm. but things that they can't change, the size of your eye sockets, you know, a lot of, I didn't even know this until I got into this either, everybody's eye sockets are like fingerprints. They may look similar, they may appear similar, but they're, even if they're just millimeters apart, they're millimeters apart. It's so totally different facial your structure. Your eye sockets are unique to your so, so if you match your eye sockets, it's a good chance that you've got a pretty accurate match. The same thing with the distance from the tip of your nose to the top of your lip. Very hard to surgically alter, nearly impossible. So biometric facial recognition software measures stuff like that. I have a guy that writes his own. He's really good. He has recently developed, and I won't get too far into it because I don't really completely understand the technology. Right. But essentially what he's developed is uh, what they call a dark web shooting gallery. And it allows him to be able to put things out there in the dark web and trace similar users so if a dark web user has posted this before every time that particular user posts something else he can flag it which doesn't mean much now because even now it's just a a name on the dark web we have no ip address no way to identify it but as technology gets better and we can start building cases and we can ever identify these people we can now say okay well this guy posted under this alias and now we can tie him to this website, this website, this website. So it may not be helpful now, but it'll be helpful in the future. So we're currently actually, you know, working with the FBI to kind of market that a little further. Mm-hmm. They've looked at it. We're working uh, on with one of the colleges down here to try to use their research department to maybe fund it a little bit. So that's some new technology that we're working on What uh, uh, as far as help uh, dark web stuff. So what, I know we talked about this on the previous podcast because it's crazy shit, but what made you start all this, man? Like, because all this, we're two years removed since our last conversation, and I'm sure it's only gotten darker and deeper in, you know what I mean? Like, at any point where you're like, man, this is, this is way too much for any one person to absorb, especially the fact that you started it with your wife. Well, you know, the story of how I got into this is kind of interesting. And going back to it, you know, years ago, after you and I stopped working together, you know, I went to work in in child welfare. Mm -hmm. And then I also picked up a a part-time job working as a PI for a guy up in Hialeah. And I would say, you know, there were several factors between the child welfare end of things and some stuff that I saw in the PI world that got me into it. But the one story that that I keep coming back to that I still lose sleep uh, at night over when I was working one Saturday afternoon at the, the PI office, we had a young lady come in, and she was upset. The secretary comes back and gets me. I was the only investigator in the office at that time. She comes back, and she gets me, and she says, hey, listen, I've got a very upset young lady out in the lobby. She wants to talk to one of the investigators. So I went out there, and she was from the Ukraine, Eastern European girl, and she was completely upset, so I brought her back to the office and I asked her to explain to me what was going on. So what she explained to me was this. Back in her country, she had gone to a job fair where these people had promised her that they were going to help her get her American visa, they were going to help her get her passport, they were going to bring her here and then let her work in one of their restaurants, one of their bars, send money back home, and eventually she was going to be able to bring her family here, her son, her mom, her dad, painted the American dream, right? Mm -hmm. And so they did. They helped her get her visa. 
They helped her get her passport. So when she came through customs here in the States, there was never a red flag. There was nothing that went off. There was nothing that, uh, you know, signaled an issue. And so the minute she gets into the car, a guy turns around, stuffs a gun in her face and says, guess what? You work for us now. And uh, she says, well, this is America. The cops here aren't crooked. It's not like our country, so I don't have to do this. I'm leaving. The guy opens the door and says, you're free to go. But before you go, he hands her a picture of her son. He hands her a picture of her parents and says, well, guess what? We know where they live. We know what they're doing. You get out of this car, they won't make it to tomorrow. So that's how she wound up here. She was able to sneak out of the house, get to our office, and then tell us this story. We did our best to help her. She had to leave the office before they realized that she was gone. Uh, we passed the case off, obviously, to the federal authorities, Homeland Security, the FBI. But that girl left our office again. I never heard from her again. I didn't know what happened to her. I still to this day don't know what happened to her. Um, so I that still have a lot of problems with that case mm-hmm. and a lot of problems with, you know, wondering what happened to that girl. And it's one of those things where once you've seen it, once you witnessed what's going on, it's kind of hard to forget it. It's kind of hard to say, ah, well, you know what, I'm just going to move on with my life. These people are going to have to, you know, do what they do. It's not affecting me personally. And unfortunately, that's an attitude that a lot of people have about human trafficking that, well, if it's not affecting me personally, then I don't care. That's the American way, right? Yeah. It's very selfish. If it is. affect you personally, then it's not my problem. True. And so, but I'm not wired like that. It bothered me. It was one. It was one of the few things that really, to this day, has ever bothered me in that manner. And that's kind of how this whole thing got started, just because I felt like I could make a difference in that world, and and I think we have. And so that's how this whole adventure got started, and and that's what's brought us to where we're at today. That's crazy, man. And I mean, the the stuff you've done and how you've grown since then is crazy, because a, a lot of people, I'm not gonna say a lot of people, because I don't know anybody who, who's done what you do, but. The way I look at it is like if you some people start something and then don't finish it and then try to build it from there, right? Because when we had our conversation, it was just about helping, giving a helping hand to to law enforcement in the community. You know that they need a little bit of help. And now you got people working on biometrics to see if people's faces and try to find them. That's crazy, man. So are all these people that that work with you that are associated with the Anti Predator Project are they? Like, how far does this span now as a comparison to two years ago? Our network has grown tremendously. And, and I've got to say and, and be completely honest, we would be nowhere without my team. I'm, I've been smart enough, I should say. The only thing I can pat myself on the back on and say that I've been smart enough to know that I'm not the smartest person in the room. True. I've gone out and found people that are much more qualified, much smarter than I am. And I've stood on the shoulders of their success, to be honest with you. Because I'm the prettiest looking one in the group, so I get to be a public face. This is this must uh, be a bad looking yeah, group. That's a bad looking so, group. Uh, but we've got a tremendous network of people, and their backgrounds and qualifications span a very wide range. Everybody that works for me has to fit a certain criteria. They've got to have some qualification prior, because we don't run our own academy, we don't run our own training academy, so. Most of my people are former law enforcement, federal, local, or state. We work with a lot of people that are former intelligence officers from the various intelligence agencies, the DIA, 
CIA, NSA, and then a lot of former military special operations folks. We have people spread from California to Texas to Chicago in the Midwest, all the way up to New York, D.C., all over Florida, Georgia. So we've got people all over the country. I can pick up the phone pretty much about anywhere and get a response, even globally if I have to. So I've been very blessed to have this network of people that have come on board because they believe in what we're doing. They've never once asked me for a paycheck. They've never once said, hey, Steele, when are we going to get paid? They've always said, listen, we're doing this because we believe in what you're doing. We're doing this because we believe in the mission. And to say that I've been blessed and that the people that we've been able to help have been blessed by the enormous amount of generosity of my team is an understatement. It's it's really kind of a balancing act because in this line of work, you see that such the dark side of humanity, right? You see the bad things, the most horrific things possible, and then you start to lose your faith in humanity and say, man, what the, the hell is going on here? Yeah. But then your faith is restored because you've got these people coming forward, you know, these former special operations guys, these former intelligence agency guys that could easily go and work for a military contractor overseas or a private contractor here in the States and, and make six, seven figures. And they come and they give us our, their services, their knowledge, their training for free because they believe in what we're doing. And that is truly a blessing, and I can't say enough about my team. I can't say enough about the people that have stepped forward to make all this possible. They're really the ones that make this go, and I just stand there and shake the hands and, and take the credit. But they're the ones behind the scenes, writing the stuff, knocking on doors, interviewing people, doing surveillance. So they're the ones that are really making this happen, and I'm so blessed, and I, I can't say thank you enough to them. Yeah, that's, that's amazing, man, yeah. Because, I mean, we're, we're, like I said, I keep saying it, I keep reiterating it. It's just because the last conversation we had, it was, it was I don't want to say in its infancy because you had been doing it for, but where it's grown to now is incredible, man. And I guess you do have to look at it in that positive light because, yeah, you see some of the darkest shit most humans shouldn't see on a regular basis, but you have all these people that believe in your dream and are, and are building it with you to try to combat that darkness with their light, man. That's that's some powerful shit, man. That really is. And I and I commend Absolutely. and I commend you for that, man. Because like you said, man, so many people, including myself, because I'm not putting myself above it, are like, hey, man, it doesn't affect me. Why should I do anything? So if I can do this podcast, this small little part, and and putting the word out there and and getting people to reach out to you and you know what I mean and getting this. Getting this to be a bigger conversation because people don't talk about it. So I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you like a little story that ha- that happened to me, right? Um, as far as the human trafficking trafficking thing. So I was a, uh, so I drive a truck, right? There's there's nothing nothing dark about this. It's just like a funny awkward story. So I'm, I drive a truck and it's a big white truck and I had my license plate uh, registration was expired, right? Because the company re- renews it and then they send it to me. I didn't have the new sticker. I'm at a truck wash in Dade City, Florida, right? I'm in line. Mind you, full disclosure, I'm a brown man, all right? If you don't know me personally, I'm brown. So Homeland Security, I think uh, Customs and Border Patrol come walk up to my truck, knock on the door, right? My license plate says Arizona. So the guy knocks on the door, and he's like, hey, uh, you know your license plate is expired? I had to go into the whole conversation. Like, look, 
this is what happened. I'm waiting for the company to send me. It's already everything's. If you look it up, everything's fine. Everything's cleared. It's like, well, what's what's the name of this company? What's this? And they asked me about the side of the truck, all the stickers. And then we're going. We talk for probably 15, 20 minutes. I'm scared shitless because he has his. He doesn't have his gun drawn, but it's not clipped in, right? So I'm like, oh shit, some, something's about to happen. And I and I go and I go back and think about our podcast that we did previously. Was like, look, these these are the ways people human traffic and all these things. Like they put them in trucks and all that stuff. But I was thinking, like, what sense would it make for somebody to drive around with a busted registration? I couldn't I couldn't think of it. I was like, you know what? Next time I try, I talk to Trent, I'm gonna ask him. So I, I talked to him. He's like, hey man, real nice guy. It wasn't an issue. Asked me about ten times if I was a citizen. Again, I'm brown. I understood. Looking back, I understood. I fit every stereotype of somebody you would want to stop. Right. I had a big white truck. I was brown. I don't, and I had a busted registration. So I'm, so he's going back and forth. He's like, hey, you mind if I bring out the dog and walk him around? I was like, sure, I got no problem. Opened everything up, and I'm sitting there, bro. I was like, this is. It was kind of scary, but I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. And then I look back. Then I look. There's a truck driver behind me. There's this black guy. He's driving. You know the, the trucks that like uh, transport cars. You know they transport all the cars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he's there and he's just laughing, and I was like, "Yo, you see this bullshit?" Because I didn't, I didn't think Arizona was like, because I, I didn't, I don't look at my license plate that much, right? So I don't think of Arizona as being a place where human trafficking happens, because I don't know my geography very well and forget it's a border state. It's my bad, you know what I mean? Like, there's things that I have issues with with that, and there's certain parts. And then I call my boy who's a who's a cop, and he tells me, "Yeah, man," because I guess he did some training with CBP. And he tells me all this stuff. I was like, Yo, I gotta ask Trent about this. So is that is that a thing that happens? People drive around with busted registration. Like how how does that process work? The busted registration part, I would say you'd be a fool if you're a trafficker to do that part. That's what I'm saying, right? Like that's a terrible criminal. Like, that's a dead giveaway. Like driving around with a busted headlight. You're asking for it, but, but I'll say this. Let me let me put it in perspective like this. I don't know if I told you this story the last time we spoke, but it was not last year, but the year before we had it, our human trafficking conference for the International Association of Human Trafficking Investigators up in Clearwater. We had a group from the Department of Public Safety in Texas, which is their version of the state police in Texas, their version of the Highway Patrol. And they did a really cool presentation on how they're training their state troopers to look for trafficking, right? Because if you think about it, state troopers, cops that are doing traffic stops, they're in the best position to see something that doesn't look right. Right. To talk to people that don't, you know, don't appear to be right. And they miss it a lot. And one of the things that led to this whole situation and them implementing this training was a case study that they did. Uh, And they tracked a, a car. It was a car that they ended up stopping initially in Texas for one reason, but then stopping it like three months later and find out that it was trafficking. And what they did was they took this car and they tracked it around the country. This car in the span of about four months had something like 16 contacts with law enforcement, whether it was being stopped for a traffic violation. One time in West Virginia, I think it was, it got stopped because it had a flat tire. They were about the side of the road. West Virginia State Trooper stops to check on him, doesn't say anything. And what it is, it's a guy that had three teenage girls in there. He drove them over the span of four months to like 11 different states and sold them out of different motels. 
That car had 16 contacts with law enforcement. Not one state trooper, not one police officer that came in contact with them in that time frame did anything about it. Asked a single question, said this doesn't look right, said this doesn't feel right, until it came back to Texas about four and a half months later. They got stopped rolling through a stop sign by a Texas state trooper that was aware of what was going on, looked in the car, saw this guy with three teenage girls, all different races, and said, something just doesn't appear to be right here, and started asking questions, got him out of the car, separated everybody. Turns out that that's what had happened. He had driven them through several different states, trafficked them out of different hotels, but that's what got this program started, and now the Texas State Police are training state troopers all over the country to what to look for in traffic stops, which I think is an absolutely huge situation because a lot of times traffic stops are where you can spot things that just don't look right. So state troopers all over the country, they're really starting to look for that stuff, that stuff that doesn't look right, especially when you get into Texas and Arizona. They're really training their people on how to handle traffic stops if something doesn't look right to start asking questions. And even if something doesn't look right from appearances, to go ahead and make a traffic stop. For example, there's a group of pedophiles that identify themselves or used to identify themselves by tying a certain type of stuffed animal to their bumper or to their rearview mirror. And so one of the Texas State Troopers had recognized that from a training he'd gone through, saw this guy pull out of a gas station, stopped him. Once they stopped him, they recovered, I want to say, four, maybe five hard drives out of his car, over 25,000 illegal child pornography in this this guy had, all because this trooper was smart enough and had been through the training, recognized the issue, and was able to pull a traffic stop on this guy. So along the border states, absolutely, it's a huge thing. And it's really not just a border state problem anymore because you've got people, especially around things like the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl is one of the largest human trafficking events in the entire world every year because it's got a huge customer base. You get a lot of men in one city for a sporting event, and pimps and traffickers from all over the country bring their girls there. And a lot of alcohol. Every year it's a, massive a lot of alcohol and a lot, a lot of, of husbands with no wives that want to do some freaky, crazy shit Absolutely. that are probably undercover fucking perverts. Absolutely. Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, and... A lot of people don't realize that the United States is one of the top three consumer markets in the world for human trafficking. Why? Because we're not a third world country. Because we're a first world country, and people here can afford that stuff. Yeah. And that's why. Because we're consuming sex trafficking, like everything else, is a consumer-driven market. There's a there's a demand here because there's a lot of buyers. And the weird thing is, and the and the messed up thing is. Research and case studies have shown that even though you run these John Stings and you arrest these guys and you punish them for buying prostitutes, buying underage girls, they'll go back and do it again. Yeah, those stop A lot of these guys have been arrested multiple times on that particular charge. And it, that, to me, is the most disturbing fact. The fact that these guys have done it once, they do it again, they do it again. And what do you do to stop them? I don't, I don't know what you can do. These guys are just wired on. There's yeah. nothing you can do about it. Nothing, nothing. But it's, that's one of the most disturbing things about the United States is we have such a consumer-driven market. One of the top three places in the United States for sex trafficking is Orlando. Why? Because of Disneyland. Dads bring their families to Disneyland by day and go buy underage prostitutes at night. Jesus. So, Hold on, wait a second. Wait a second. You're not just going to drop that kind of bomb on me 
I'm an hour. I'm an hour from Orlando. All right. That's the n- really. I don't know why, why my voice got so high. Sorry. That's the number one. He- what? Orlando is actually higher on the grid than Miami when it comes to sex trafficking because of Disneyland. So there's. for a minute. Is that so? I'm thinking in. So fucked up question. Is that because the parents who bring in, who come in, like the dads or the women, because there's women pedophiles too. Obviously not as many, but Absolutely. it is that because they have like a thing for for boys, like or you know what I mean, or pedophilia, like. Or is it just all around, the, all over the spectrum? I'm it's all over the spectrum. I mean, you've got, obviously, they've just, you're right there in Grady Judd uh, territory up there near Polk County in Florida. Yep. I'm sure you've heard of some of his legendary stings that he's conducted over the years yep. involving you know, pedophiles and things like that. I believe it was either the last sting or the sting that he did before, before that one, where they arrested, I want to say, several employees at Disney, two or three employees that work at Disney, two or three employees of of school districts, people that take jobs around children for that reason. And for that same reason, you get an influx of people that come to Disneyland. Also, you get an influx of guys that are just sickos and they get spare time on their hands when they show up and they go and hit the prostitution market. So obviously, and I don't know how familiar you are with the Orlando geography, but you know, along Orange Blossom Trail, things like that, it can get pretty shady. No, yeah, I, I drive through OBT. That's what we call it. We call it OBT because Orange Blossom Trail just sounds too long. And that's that's a sketchy, sketchy area, man. Like you, and, and I'm talking on, like, the main streets. You don't have to really cut back too far from a main road to notice, yeah, there's some shady shit going on around here. You, you could just see it in the quality of the... And the quality of the buildings, you know what I mean? Like small little signs where you could just look at it at the architecture and the demographics. I was like, this isn't the greatest of, of neighborhoods, of areas. This is on a homicide up there a couple of years ago. A girl that was being sold out of one of the motels up there on Orange Blossom Trail. Turns out that she was also being trafficked by her drug dealer. She ended up stealing from a drug dealer. He ended up shooting her in the head and burying her in the backyard of his mom's house up there. No, that's how nice. that one ended, but... We worked some some pretty bad stuff up there on, on OBT, as you call it. Yeah, that's that's some dark so, shit, man. That's some dark dark shit. So, dude, you can't be with all this stuff you see, and if your first the case that started all this lets you doesn't let you sleep much, you can't sleep much at night with all the things you have in your mind and in your brain and the things you've seen, right? I mean, I know I know we were talking about it before we started recording. Jack Ryan and television can only do so much. To take away, because the reality you've seen is darker than anything you'll ever see on any show ever. Well, it comes to a thing where you don't necessarily put it in a spot in your head where it doesn't bother you anymore. Because, you know, I had this conversation with a guy that's working with me. He's a retired homicide detective from New York City. And, you know, he got to the point to where he got out of working homicide because it got to the point to where it didn't bother him anymore. He would show up on scene, and it was just another dead body, and he's like, I lost my sense of humanity because I was forgetting that these dead bodies were people. I had seen so much of it that it didn't bother me anymore. He's like, that's when I knew it was it was time to quit, but he got out for a couple of years, and, and now he's working with us, and I share that same sentiment. If I ever get to the point to where 
the stuff that I see every day and the stuff that I work with every day doesn't bother me anymore, then it's time to hang it up because you've gotten too callous, you've gotten too desensitized to do this anymore. So I haven't gotten there, but what I have learned to do is put it away. And it's like everything else. There comes a point in time every night when you got to put it away because guess what? It's going to be there tomorrow. It's going to be there the day after that. Yep. And you've got a family. You've got a wife. And then you also learn to take comfort in the fact that while everything that you see is bad and a lot of things that you see are bad, there are good days in this job. There are days when the bad guys go to jail. There are days when the kids come home. There are also days when, you're re- when you realize looking around at your team that you're surrounded by some of the best people in the world that have some of the biggest hearts, and we're going to be okay because people like that are going to step up and save humanity at some point. So you learn to take solace in the good things and the good days, and you learn to enjoy the good days on this job. So that's how you deal with it. You don't get to the point to where it doesn't bother you anymore, but you get to the point to where you learn how to balance the good with the bad. Jesus. So do you? last time we talked, your your good stories were, were, were small, right? If we if we even had any, because I th- if I, I I remember this podcast vividly, Trent, we talked about the the video of the girl getting her head drilled in, where she was like, uh, she was tied to the bed, and it was like a live stream. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember that shit, and that, again, this was probably a year and a half ago. I remember that conversation. I remember how I was sitting in the room, dude. That's so that's some shit. But t- give me some bright spots of these moments. That that have happened in the last two years. If you, I mean, because yeah, you're fighting, because at, at the end of the day, you're fighting against cartels that, because cartels enter human trafficking. You're fighting all this money Absolutely. and all these ways. So I, even if there's one dude, I, I mean, I don't. That's that's a, a miracle within itself because you're you're fighting a battle that's kind of impossible, right? Like, because there's so no, much I, money I being poured into it. It's a battle, you know, and I just had this conversation with one of the FBI agents that we work with. He's like, you know, my goal is before I leave the Bureau is to make sure you guys are out of business. And I said, you know what, if you can make that happen, I'll be the happiest man in the world. I'm more than happy to retire and never have to do this again. Unfortunately, the reality is that's never going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Yep. But there are some good stories, and, and we've had a couple, you know, as recently as, as Father's Day weekend – uh, this past year, we were actually able to get a three-year-old, or excuse me, an 18-month-year-old uh, back home from some traffickers. So that was uh, that was a big win for us. That trafficker is he's still under investigation. He's not behind bars yet, but we were able to get an 18-month-old old back home. So we're pretty happy about that. We've got we're working on our first very, very large-scale federal prosecution right now. Obviously, it's an ongoing investigation. I can't get into that. Right. But it's a, par- it's a partnership investigation with several federal agencies. It's spanned over the course of several months now, and it's going to go for quite a while. But we're involved in a very large-scale operation, and we're looking forward to seeing what the end results of, of that will be. So we've got a lot of things on the fire. We've, you know, got a a couple of victims that we've been able to recover. We had a girl in Texas that we were able to get back home to her mom. So there, there is some good news. Like I said, there are some good days on this job. Mm-hmm. There are few and far between. Unfortunately, a lot of our days, especially with the missing persons cases and with the, the missing children cases, they end in 
a body recovery, you know, so that's not cool. I mean, we were part of, I don't know if you were familiar with that case up in Jacksonville. Man, this would have been last year. That girl in Jacksonville got some media coverage. That girl in Jacksonville that they found her car outside the restaurant she was supposed to be working at that night. She never showed up for work. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember hearing something her about car that. Ransacked. Remember that case? Yeah, yeah. Um, we were actually contacted by the family on that case. They wanted us to get involved. And as we were, you know, packing the team up, I had to get my team together and, of course, call some of my funders to cover some travel expenses. But we were getting ready to go up there. But as we got up there, and this is one case where I can say law enforcement really did a really a fantastic job on this case. They were smart in how they worked. They went and got some video surveillance, tracked down the right guy. But, uh, unfortunately, that case ended up with a body recovery in a canal. You know, that's not uh not the good news that we like to deliver and it's not the way we like these things to end unfortunately it's the way some of them do end and the only positive thing of it is that guy's going to be going to jail probably for the rest of his life if he doesn't get the death penalty so that's the only solace that you can take it doesn't bring that girl back it doesn't give her family any less uh heartbreak it doesn't give them any more peace but there's some form of justice there but there are some good days. They're few and far between, mm-hmm. and we hope to have some more good days coming in the future. So we'll see. Yeah, man, that's crazy. So we were talking. Every time we talk, dude, like I gotta process. I gotta like listen to all this back to like process everything we talked about. Cause like right now we're in the moment. I'm like, holy shit! I can't believe. I'm still like, I can't believe Orlando's the number one place for some sick shit. That that's insane to me. And my a bunch of my friends like post pictures with their kids going there, and you never know who's around you. That's kind of terrifying, man. Um, so we were talking yesterday about you having a speech coming up at the University of Miami. So what's that about, man? Like, what, what are yeah. you going to talk to? Who are you going to talk to? Who's all going to be there? And what? We why are you the... How... One other follow-up question. How unattractive is your team that you're the person they put out there as the speaker? That You don't have to answer that. I just felt like putting that out there. Because... Yeah, we're, we're an ugly group of guys. All right. All right uh, there's mate. a reason why some of them spend a majority of their career working undercover. That's they true. They don't want to be known publicly. <laughs> so, <laughs> they don't want any no, pictures I of mean, them. It's, uh, it's, actually, uh, it's, it's actually a fundraising event for another group here in Miami called Glory House. It's their annual gala, their annual dinner that they put on. We've recently been doing some work with them on the outreach side, and they provide a lot of victim services for girls that have been you know rescued out of the life so they're a really great organization they've done a lot of good things with us they've helped us out with some things so they've asked me to come speak at their event they hold annually at university of miami so i'm going to go address them that's on september 29th if anybody's here in the miami area you want to help support a great cause i believe it's 90 90 90 or 100 bucks a, a plate for the dinner but they're a great group the money goes right back into helping the victims it's one of the few nonprofits that I will publicly back because I have a big problem with a lot of nonprofits and how they use their money. Mm-hmm. So I don't back a lot of them publicly, but this is one that I will. So I'm going to be there on September 29th. It starts at 7, goes till 11. If you're in the Miami area, stop out. You can get a, a look at me and see, you know, how fantastically good looking I really am. Right. And, so humble. Uh, the, uh, so humble at your old age. So, uh, and then we've got we've got another big event that. I hope that really materializes. We're literally just in like, I would say the second or third 
uh, day of conversation about this, but with the Super Bowl coming to Miami in 2020, we just spoke about how big of a human trafficking event it is. Yep. January every year, it's National Human Trafficking Month. So we are working with a record label that I'm not going to mention yet because nothing is locked in. But we're working with a record label, and we're trying to put together a huge human trafficking benefit concert down at Bayfront Park. Oh, wow. With some big-time big time names. Uh, this is a record label that deals with some big-time celebrities, some big-time stars, so we're hoping to get some star power behind it. We're going to approach the NFL and see if we can get some financial backing from them, some corporate sponsors. It's going to be a big deal when I can finally talk about it and we get the groundwork in place. I'll, we need to get back together and I can really let you know what's going on, who's going to be there, what kind of entertainment there's going to be. But it's going to be a, a full day thing. Like I said, we want to hold it down at Bayfront Park. If we can't get Bayfront Park, we've got some other venues that are in mind, but it's, it's going to be a big deal. And it's going to be held in January of 2020, right before the Super Bowl that's played in 2014, to try to help curb and raise awareness for human trafficking, but then raise money for our group and four or five other nonprofits in the area that deal with human trafficking. So we're pretty excited about that. But it's going to eat up my life probably for about the next year trying to plan this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Man, that's that's crazy. That's amazing, man. You're really making some moves. Again, I... Oh no, absolutely, man. I'll be there. If I could, September 29th, I have to look what date that is. Uh, 17 days. That's during the week, right? Uh, well, September 29th is Saturday. It's a Saturday night. Okay. But uh. next January, come down for the concert. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. January 2020. Yeah, I'll, I'll come out for that'll that. Be a, that'll be a big deal. Yeah, definitely come out for that, man. Like I said, I literally just spoke to the record label a guy. Well, I spoke to him originally a few days ago, then I spoke to him again. Yesterday and semi-locked it in. We hope to have a list of artists by the end of December. And then once we have a list of artists, we can start approaching some corporate sponsors, get everything booked. Hopefully I'll be able to talk about it at least sometime in the spring and start letting everybody know, listen, this is where it's going to be. This is what it's going to cost. So people can start making some travel plans if they want to come down. But it's going to be an awesome event. And we're, you know, we're really hoping to, to make this work raise awareness we're hoping that the nfl wants to help back this thing a little bit yeah they and need a them some good their event gets some bad publicity every year because of human trafficking so if we can get the nfl to back this a little bit which i i'm pretty confident that they will it's gonna be a huge event we're really looking forward to it but on the fundraising end that's the kind of stuff that we've got going on i'm, I'm obviously taking more speaking engagements than i have in the past to try to help this stuff we're starting to communicate a lot more with large-scale donors we're not working really on grants much and you know it's, it's one of those things that it's not because we spend our money illegally or we do shady things with our money and we don't want people to know what's going on the problem is is grant money comes with a lot of strings obviously people give you grants they want research data they want a lot of stuff that comes along with that yeah the issue is with us in our world and some donors don't even like to hear this but there's a portion of our money that goes to bad people in a dark alley somewhere for information. And that's just the reality of the world that we live in. You know, information's not free, and we have to get it somehow. We yeah. don't have subpoena power like cops. So, unfortunately, for us, information costs money. And so we've been focusing a lot more on the private donor end, the benefit end. And we've also been helping, you know, other nonprofits in the area. There's There she is. 
Of course. Of yeah, course she would make a cameo. Yeah, of course. So um, we've been working on that as well, obviously helping other nonprofits in the area like Glory House with their fundraising and, and doing events for them so we can help them out. It's, it's one of those things where, uh, unfortunately, the bad guys work together all too often, so the good guys need to learn to work together as well. Because right now that's why the bad guys win. Yeah. Because the good guys, especially in the nonprofit world, and the messed up thing about the nonprofit world, and once again, I, I got into this, and this is why I don't support a lot of nonprofits publicly, is because a lot of them say they've got a certain cause, but then it just becomes about money, and then they won't work with other nonprofits because they think that they're going to steal their funding, their donors, and it just gets to be a, a giant political disaster. So we tend to steer clear of any type of drama like that. So we work with the nonprofits here in town that work with us, and we're all in this for the right reason. we got a network of about five or six nonprofits down here in Miami that do this for the right reasons. We do it because we believe in the cause. And for the most part, with the exception of two or three people, nobody in this entire group takes a salary. That's crazy. Well, I mean, that's a lot better than before because when we first talked about it, nobody took any kind of money. That's all. So you guys have... <laughs> well, nobody in my organization is, is still taking any money. There's some other organizations here in town that have done pretty well and they've got a couple paid employees, but nobody on my end's taken yep. uh, any salary yet. But we hope to change that in the future. Like I said, we're working on this big benefit concert coming up in January 2020. We think that can be a monster fundraiser. And then we've got some large-scale donors that we've been talking to and corresponding to. But unfortunately, you know, the, the hard part about what we do is, unlike some nonprofits that can get by on, on small donations and things of that nature, what we do is very expensive. Every time we've got to travel somewhere, every time we've got to do something, that costs money. And right. it costs money exponentially depending on how many people I have to send what we have to do when we get there so the realistic thing for us is we need in order to put a seven-man team together to do this full-time we're gonna need a seven-figure budget a year right at about one million bucks a year in order to be able to do this yeah. uh, full-time and to be able to put together a team that is qualified enough to do this obviously nobody's gonna get rich but I've got people with very impressive resumes. They still have to make a living. I've got to pay them something. Yeah. You know. So. And that, that's with our that, goal. and with that income, and with that income for or the salary for for a team like that, that gives you money to pick up and go when places need you, when when certain families call you and things like that. You to be able to respond to them and not just to be your voice on the phone. You know, it it'll make you grow even bigger that's, and yeah. and make better connections in certain states and certain cities. gets into the question of why we're important you know everybody says well why do you need to exist you know law enforcement does this and we've got federal local state different entities that do this and they don't understand that there are certain occasions where law enforcement would like to get involved unfortunately because of everything else in this country the politics the bureaucracy the red tape it prevents them from being able to do that so no. organizations like ours can step in and fill that gap if we have the funding to go and respond right away. But sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes I have to tell families, listen, I can offer you some resources. I don't know how much we're going to be able to help because we just don't have the financing right now. Luckily, my network of investigators and operatives has expanded quite a bit over the years. 
So in most parts of the country, I can usually pick up the phone and get somebody that will be able to help within a reasonable distance. But even then, if they've got to drive three, four, five hours, a lot of these guys are still working paying jobs. They're going to have to work it around their paying job schedule. So the response time is really not what it needs to be nor what we want it to be right now. But we're trying to change that. Our hope is by the end of 2019 to have the budget in place that we need and to be able to do this thing full-time with a, a very qualified team of folks that can travel the country, travel the world, and work with whoever we need to to get this problem solved. That's the plan, man. As always, man, I, I'm going to have to process this podcast and figure everything out that you said because some of this shit is insane. My brother, I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Before we go, let the people know where they can find you, how they can reach you, because I'm going to say it at the beginning of the podcast before even the intro, but I want to end it with you saying it as well. Thanks. And once again, listen, I appreciate you having us on. We're, we can be found online at www.antipredatorproject.org. You can also find us at www.antipredatorproject.com. That's our web guy doing some smart thinking. He went ahead and bought both domains. Smart. We actually just revamped our websites. Go check our website out. Let us know what you think about it. It's brand new as of spring of this year. So we'd like to get everybody's feedback. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram, but we don't do a ton there. It's, it's mostly Twitter and Facebook. So we're at Twitter, we're at Antipredator, uh, Antipredator Org. And Facebook, we're at APP Investigations. So... You can find us pretty much about anywhere you need to go. Take a visit. Leave us a message on Facebook. If you need to get a hold of us, you can do so through our website. Our 24-hour hotline is there. Our 24-hour hotline is always on our Facebook as well. And you can reach us via email for any emergencies if you need our assistance through our Facebook. Or you can reach us at info at antipredatorproject.org. All right, man. We'll end it there. Trent, my brother, I thank you. And we'll, we'll chat again. I'm going to need about six months to process all of this, and then we'll do it again. Absolutely, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to the Man Chatter Podcast with your host as always, Ben Borges. Till next time, peace. <laughs>